Welcome to HR in 15, a podcast dedicated to addressing the complexities of modern HR in just 15 minutes. Brought to you by Prestige PEO, simplifying HR. Welcome back to another episode of HR in 15. I'm your host again, Tim Kelly, Director of Sales and Business Development at Prestige PEO. We're joined once again today by Joe Ellis, Senior Vice President at CBiz and President-Elect of the Greater Valley Forge Human Resources Association, a local chapter of SHRM. The COVID-19 pandemic shed light on the importance of employee wellness. But while plenty of employee wellness initiatives offer valuable support for employees, not all of them deliver the results as hopefully anticipated. With so much money and effort being poured into keeping employees happy and healthy, how can businesses determine which initiatives are actually effective? We're fortunate to have Joe here to help us figure that all out. Great to have you back, Joe. Thank you, Tim. Happy to be here. Excellent. So let's jump right in. What are some of the most common or popular employee wellness initiatives typically embraced by employers? Tim, I think some of the more popular and common uh, wellness initiatives employers typically embrace, or if they don't embrace them, they at least acquiesce to them. Uh, things like uh, discount gym memberships, smoke, smoking cessation programs, competitions, step challenges, uh, weight loss. Often they'll have a, uh, they'll pit department against department mm-hmm. for weight loss. Um, initiatives. Um, and, and I think that to the uninitiated or at least the un, uh, the, those that have not learned much about wellness, uh, they tend to fall flat. Um, when we say they, they, they tend to fall flat, um, because the result is not, um, something that's ongoing, it's temporary, people don't succeed. What what are the thoughts there from, I guess, the employer perspective? Well, from the employer perspective, the the very first thing you have to understand is what kind of a workforce do I want? And every workforce has a culture. Every company has a culture. And it's sometimes purposeful and it's sometimes uh, happenstance. It just just inertia carries you to uh, to that culture. If an employer really wants to get serious about having a culture of wellness, then mm-hmm. they can do so, but they have to be pretty uh, calculated and purposeful in doing it. And in order to have a culture of wellness, you have to first figure out what is unwell about the employer, about the employee population. So we're really thinking about, uh, imagine that you are running a company and you get reports constantly about uh, the wellness of your population at work via reports from workers' comp uh, insurance carriers. And they say you had so many accidents, you had so many slips and falls and things like that. You you would then create a safety program that would try to prevent those things. Well, when you look at your health claim data, uh, and if you get health claim data, what are the drivers of your costs for your health plan? And even if you don't know, uh, one of the big things that employers need to to think about with wellness programs is what risk are you trying to prevent? So if you you see uh, that the the smoking areas, if the employer has a smoking um, spot, 
Uh, is it crowded? Is it not crowded? Is smoking an issue? Uh, are people tend to be uh, overweight? Are people doing things, you know, that are not necessarily keeping up with their health? And the employer can have a significant impact on that if they want to. And many mm -hmm. employers, many employers do. Mm -hmm. Joe, what would we say to an employer that says, okay, I'm behind all this, it makes sense, but of the people I have insured on my plan, maybe only 50% of them are my employees and the other 50% are their dependents. How, how does that impact uh, a decision for participating or initiating a wellness program? Well, the, the, the dependents, the spouses and the children uh, are, are typically invited to participate in wellness programs, but generally not until it's pretty well established at the, at the work site. And I think that um, some of those, uh, some of those diseases and conditions that spouses and, and other dependents get, um, I think it's kind of luck. I don't know that an employer can do much about it. And I mm -hmm. I'd face that music and just say, I'm not sure you can do a whole lot about that music right away, about, <laughs> about that uh, condition right away. But I think if you, if you help the employee embark on a wellness program where they're taking the tenants of that program home with them and sharing that with their families and they're saying, hey, you know, I really need to eat less of this and eat more of this. And uh, when we go shopping, can we buy this or that rather than what we used to buy? Uh, that, that often seeps into the relationships at home, which has an impact for sure. But it's like not a trickle down, like a trickle down effect almost. That's exactly what it is. Excellent. Um, when considering these programs uh, from an employee perspective as to why they might want to uh, gain greater health and wellness, um, what other what other methods are, are successful for the employer trying to encourage participation um, in the program to, to support it and help it to succeed? Well, one of the things that we do pretty much all the time is encourage employers to come up with a way to get the data about their employees' health as it exists right now. And one of those ways is, is the most common, which is a know your numbers campaign. And a know your numbers campaign is simply uh, a, an initiative where the employer will sponsor or pay for biometric screenings, which might cost, let's say, $50 to get a, a blood a blood draw or a blood prick uh, and do some, uh, in addition to that, blood pressure and uh, BMI. And once they get those, no employee information should ever, ever get to the employer on an individual basis. But what we're looking for is a profile. We're trying to find out what is the risk category, the, the risk uh, profile of an employee population. And once you know that, uh, the likelihood of your success in a wellness program is much greater. For example, if, if you knew that you didn't have any smokers in your population, the likelihood of you implementing a smoking cessation program is pretty limited. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to do that. Um, you, you're probably not going to try a steps challenge when, when everybody is uh, walking the trails around the building at lunch or they're, you know, they're in, in generally good health. Um, 
So I think knowing your numbers does two things. It gives a profile to the employer, but it also gives data to the employee that they might not have yet. They might not ever have been to a doctor. We've all heard of the 50-year-old guy that is just stubborn and says he's healthy as a horse, never goes to the doctor until he realizes uh, at 51 years old, he's got diabetes and high blood pressure and, and um, mm -hmm. um, a couple of clogged arteries or, or along those lines. So knowing as an individual will help you decide whether to engage yourself. Knowing as an employer will help you figure out what's the best method to attack that health issue, which is in your population, which you know is going to eventually uh, impact your claim costs. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, uh, that gets everybody uh, rolling in the same direction, so to speak. Uh, Absolutely. So thanks for that. So, uh, John, there have been a couple of articles recently uh, reporting on a, a study uh, that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that uh, had indicated uh, some significant wellness programs for some large employers weren't successful. Uh, along those lines, uh, what can you talk to us about in terms of pitfalls of some of these wellness initiatives and, and, and why some of them might not be successful? Well, I think uh, I've, I, I have read and I've shared, I've uh, written articles about wellness programs. Uh, I've seen studies. I saw a study from Harvard that came out and said that there was a $3 and 54 cent uh, for every dollar spent. There was an ROI of $3 and 54 cents. And three or four months later, it was the study was debunked. Um, the first thing I do with an employer is I ask the employer if they are interested in having a healthy workforce. And, and they sort of are, sure, I guess that would be good. And then I ask the, the sort of the drop dead question, which is, do you think it costs less to employ healthy people? And generally, even the hardest nosed CFO will sit there and say, I think it would cost me less if I had healthy people. They'll be at work more often. They'll have fewer days off. They won't have the sickness. They won't spread colds to my population. So, okay, I'll give you that. So as soon as I get that little nugget of agreement that a wellness program isn't necessarily a big waste of time and, and something that, that uh, isn't going to benefit, um, I try to take the conversation away from the ROI. Mm -hmm. Now, in some, in some of these uh, programs, I think there, there is absolutely horrible plan design put in. There is no possibility I would ever approve of a wellness program that had any significant penalties on the part of the employee for not participating. And remember, some of the, uh, the wellness programs come in phases. So the first phase is voluntary. The second phase will be you have to do these certain things. Uh, and if you do them, you get a discount on your premiums. Uh, and then the third is, which is, that's a participation level of incentive where you, we want you to participate in the program. The third level is an actual result. So are you seeing a reduction in your weight, a reduction in your BMI, a reduction in your cholesterol, in your blood pressure? Um, and, and some of the programs will put penalties on the employee if they don't achieve these goals of improvements. And I'm thinking you, you are creating the 
disincentive to work at that employer and you're 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 spreading uh, a tone and creating a culture that you really never intended to do in the first place so i never put uh penalties significant or otherwise for participation the culture of the company should drive and the culture of leadership should drive people because they want to be healthy employees and because it, frankly if they're not going to be as healthy as the other employees they're probably going to find it less welcoming to work there so so negative negative reinforcement a big no no there um for uh, sure great uh, and i think it, it, yes well i think it's a, it, it's it's interesting to understand when you get into the deeper aspects of a wellness program we've changed our wellness program titles from from being wellness programs to well-being programs because there's really five key drivers of well-being and and it's physical and it's emotional as one of them social is another one and you can see during this covid-19 pandemic that the social pressures are are really significantly affected by this there's a purpose um in your life we all want to have a purpose and when somebody thinks about it they want to know that their purpose is being fulfilled there's a sense of community the sense of community is the second victim of COVID-19 pandemic mm -hmm. because we can't walk next door to the person in the next cube or the next office and have a conversation. We have to set up a meeting on Zoom or Teams or or otherwise. Um, and then of course there's financial wellness and studies have shown that there is a direct correlation between somebody's health financially and physically. So, um, that, that if you if you broaden a wellness program out to that extent, a well-being program, you're touching on all those things. You can see from that it may take four or five years to affect a really good well-being program, but that whole time you're changing the culture, and that's a positive. Uh, those are those are uh, interesting points to consider there. When we're when we're talking along those lines, uh, from your perspective and your experience, what kinds of wellness initiatives should employers uh, consider to get the greatest benefit for their employees while at the same time uh, getting the most uh, bang for their buck and value for their expenditure? I think uh, survey, survey, survey employees about what they would like, about what they would, after, after they know their numbers, I mean, I would do the, the Know Your Numbers campaign all the time, but after they know their numbers, then I would survey employees and, and just ask them or create a wellness or well-being uh, committee of employees um, and and get a sense from the employee population. So what are they really, what are they looking for? What, what help would they like in their own personal journeys from their employer? And the employer, believe it or not, can have a significant influence on those personal journeys. And uh, there's plenty of stories to tell about that, that kind of uh, activity. Gotcha. A little, a little help me to help you, Joe. That's it. Uh, Jerry Maguire. Uh, well, Joe, uh, before we uh, sign off, anything additional that you want to add, uh, make sure that the audience takes away from our session today? Well, I think the, the, in the broadest sense, wellness and well-being programs are a journey. It's not a destination. You, you don't simply say to your employees, we have a wellness or well-being program, hop in it 
and wash your hands of it, walk away, say, well, I checked the box, I did a, a wellness program. It's a, it's a journey that begins with a couple of steps and not all the steps are the same for all employers. Uh, and the destination is to have a, a healthy, vibrant workforce that gets along well, that is cooperative, and that more than anything else is a very profitable to the employer uh, population. Excellent. Well, uh, Joe, once again, thanks for all this great information and your insight. It's been a tremendous pleasure speaking with you. To our listeners, if you'd like to continue this conversation on wellness or have any questions for Joe, you can be reached at jellis at cbiz.com. To hear more HR advice from our community of experts, be sure to check out HR and 15 on your favorite podcast app or visit www.hrin15.com. We'll catch you again next time. Thanks for joining us. For questions or more information on today's topic, visit prestigepeo.com.